there we go. I just want to show you this book. If you're if you want a, a light summer reading, this book um, was was recommended to me and, and my husband. It's called Jerusalem: The Biography from Simon um, Montefiore. He's a, a leading expert on the history of Jerusalem. I even heard this is going to be a mini series that they're working on. Um, it was actually Sue's brother, Scott, that recommended to us. His is all like, he's, he's read it, he loved it, um, highly recommended. I downloaded the audio, too, and started an audio, because it is, it is a commitment. But you don't, it's not a story, so you don't have to read it in order if you just want to use it as reference. And it goes through the history from the Old Testament to modern-day Jerusalem. Can so, you tell us the author again? Yeah, you know what, I'll pass it around, and you can write down what you need to, and because... You can spell it out, and you can kind of look through it. You'll, you'll see pictures. You'll see um, it just it, it divides it up into different time periods, so it's a great reference material. Now, when I, like I said, I only listened to part of it. Some of the things he said about the Old Testament, I think I would maybe disagree a little bit on. It's not. This is not a biblical be-all reference book, so don't say, "Oh, well, this is what he said about this part of." the Bible history. Like any person studying the Bible, there's going to be uh, different interpretations of it. So I don't want you to think that, but it's just a great reference book for, for history. Pass that around. And I got it right on Amazon. You could, I, don't, I couldn't find it in the store, but it was on Amazon. It wasn't too expensive. Okay, then before we get into Marilyn's wonderful devotion for today, which she worked very hard on in her busy life and then sent it to me last night, so I still have it on my phone. But there was this story I heard on the news last night, and I just, it, it actually brought me to tears. I had a really long day. Um, I got to spend the day with my mom, which was wonderful, but it was a day spent getting a new iPad and then taking it home to, the, to her house in the country with really bad internet and trying to set it up. Oh. Um, so I was setting up an iPad all day with bad internet and shopping for that and everything. So um, I'm not untechy, but I'm not, it's not my first language. So it was a long day. And then I got Marilyn's wonderful devotion. So it was good. But then, and then I saw this story on the news and it just kind of brought me to tears because I got home late in the evening, gone over my Bible study. So I'm reading about the Holy Spirit working in people. And we talk every week about, about how this, the implication to us on spreading the news. And I don't know if you've heard the story about that Christian college in Kentucky with the vigil going on. Well, not a vigil, it's a revival. Um, there's this school in Kentucky, and let me actually just read this article. This came out a few days ago. As of last night, it was the eighth day of this. It says, a Christian service at a college in a college chapel in Kentucky has ballooned into a nonstop prayer and worship session that some are calling a revival, and people are traveling thousands of miles to take part in it after seeing viral videos on TikTok. The growing event started as a routine chapel service at Asbury University, a small Christian college in Wilmore, Kentucky, according to university employees. At the tail end of the meeting, a couple dozen lingering students assembled informally in a gathering that's been going on now for, well, as of yesterday, eight straight days, 24 hours a day. The first day we had an ordinary service. I would call it unremarkable, said university president Kevin Brown. Following a morning service on February 8th, a multicultural gospel choir sang on stage. Some students stuck around afterwards, and by evening, more and more had trickled into the sanctuary, creating something special. It has absolutely been social media that is the mechanism that people found out about this, 
said Mark Whitworth, Asbury University's Vice President of Communications. The setup is simple, no projector screens or high-tech integrations, just wooden sanctuary chairs filled with people, and an open altar call with an invitation to prayer that still hasn't ended. And so I saw they had videos of it, and they um, interviewed the student body president, this nice young woman, and um, it's just people started hearing about it. They've had people come in, flying in from other countries all over the world, people from almost every state of the union. It's just, it's not like a mega church. It's just a small Christian college, and they're just worshiping the Lord. And something about these young people wanting to worship the Lord. And I love what she said about the Holy Spirit being involved in this revival and changing people. And it was just exactly what we talked about. And, you know, now the Lord's using TikTok and social media, but these young people were craving this. And she mentioned, though from Kentucky, she mentioned Michigan State University and what had happened there with the shootings and how, um, you know, people are just in need of this. And she, she did quote a verse from Habakkuk 1 um, about the Lord doing things you never could imagine. I did look that up, and he was, if you read further, he was talking about the Babylonian conquest. I don't think they read further. I don't think that's what they had in mind. But the, the point behind it was the Lord is doing something with these people. So check it out. It's, it's obviously on social media. You can see, look up that story. Um, I hope, I want it to be on all the major news things. I want, I, I, I taped it and showed Randy that um, the story later, but what we were talking about is that not only is this wonderful to see, but young people need to know they're not alone. Because if you, if you think you're alone in spreading the gospel, it's so scary. And so they were just so unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you got to love that. So check that out. It is, it is the book of Acts in action in, in modern day times. So. Was that a Christian college? It was a Christian college. And they have chapel services. And I know when I went to Concordia, you have these chapel services. They're, they're wonderful, but they're expected and they're ordinary and it was just this ordinary expected chapel service that ballooned people just, so they keep the, the chapel open 24 hours a day and people just keep coming in and worshiping and you know and they have a band up there and I you know I, I want to hear more about it but it was good and I'm glad um that that it was on the news and I happened to be tuning in at that time because I'm um and like I said let's pray that that everybody covers it so more and more people know they're not alone so and then after what was sad was that about two stories after that, they were interviewing a priest from, um, from the UK who was, um, who was interrogated for praying outside an abortion clinic. And um, his real crime, they said what they got him on was he had a bumper sticker on his car that said, Unborn Lives Matter. And so that was violating, um, that was violating something. So it's, there's so many ends of the spectrum and so many different opinions and so many things we can talk about there, but there are there are good things happening too. So, and let me look up Marilyn's devotion. Sorry, I didn't even have time to print that out yesterday. Um, I love. I told her I loved this one. It's just it's just so nice and personal. Um, so this is uh, she titled this "Reflections from the Epistles of Saint Paul to the Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians." I was born and baptized Lutheran which I thought must be very, a very special thing, but I didn't really know why it was a special thing. Most children don't usually care much about faith or religion because they are foreign concepts to them, some big, dark mystery that only grown-ups know about. And frankly, faith and religion are not among the brightest colors of the deluxe 100-count Crayola crayon box. 
Brand new to the faith, I imagine this is exactly how the early Christians must have felt. Jesus and this Christianity business has has to seem very obscure and alien on their way of thinking. And for the Jews, it brought to question centuries of laws and, and edicts inherent in their Jew, Jewish heritage. What a tough market for Peter and Paul to convince. About 17 years later, I was doing homework for a high school class called The Bible. I don't know why I took the class, but something motivated my interest. I did have a crush on the boy sitting next to me, but I preferred to remember it as a pointed push from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine a class such as this in the schools today? The principal would have been arrested and branded with a woke tattoo. Sadly, how far away we have become from the world Jesus came to save. I can just see the Lord shaking his head and wondering, how did this happen? History cycles, and I can hear today, St. Paul warning us about the evils of idolatry, adultery, sexual immorality, perversion, pornography. Nothing really changes. It just gets worse. This is why we must protect our faith and refuse to fall into the pattern of the world today. Jesus is counting on us, and we are counting on him to give us the strength and courage we need to say, no, this is not right according to the Bible and our Lord's will for us to live a devout and exemplary life. As I was reading the words of St. Paul's epistles to the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, it was like the words had been kissed by the cherubim as they sang in heaven's celestial chapels. It resembled a glow of an ethereal sunset or the breathtaking vistas of the Grand Canyon. I felt this peaceful yet profound presence, something so unusual, so astonishing, it covered me with a serene, safe, and protective aura. I wanted the moment to last forever, so I kept reading. And as I read, the words took on meaning I could never have imagined on my own. I realized it was God speaking to me through these words. I didn't understand anything yet about the Holy Spirit. In fact, my parents used to call him the Holy Ghost. So I tried to avoid him as much as possible. But I knew who God and Jesus were, were and they had caught my complete attention with these profound and provocative verses. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his imparable great power for us who believe, Ephesians 1.18. I pray out of this glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being noted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep in the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, Ephesians three sixteen to 19. So thank you, Marilyn. I love that, the, the personalness of that, because I think it's true. Um, the Holy Spirit was when I was growing up, kind of more the elusive part of the Trinity. It's not, it's not what you're learning in Sunday school in, in your Bible stories. And, and, I, and I shared before, that I always had that fear because I heard the one unforgivable sin is rejection of the Holy Spirit. And so you're third grade and you're like, oh my gosh, did I reject the Holy Spirit today? So there was always a little bit of scariness to that. And then so that's what I love about the books, book of Acts, I think the most, is, um, is seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. And as someone said, it should be called the book, The Acts of the Holy Spirit, because you really see him working and starting his church. And just a few things I want to clarify from last week, because, and I must say, I, I will get things wrong sometimes, and I try to do my best to get them right. Um, and, I, and as you're studying the Bible, you can, 
you can read through a hundred theologians and they're all going to have some things that are different. Um, I stopped short of apologizing for that because I don't want people to, to not study the Bible and not share the Bible because they're afraid they're going to get something wrong sometimes. That's part of it. We all grow and learn from that. So then I study more and I'm like, wait, I shouldn't have said it that way. So I will always do my best to, to um, be honest with you when I think I made a mistake and um, always appreciate when you call me out on something, you know, and say, well, I didn't hear that that way or I didn't understand it that way. So please do that. But the first thing was when I talked about Paul um, going to um, Arabia and Galatia for three years. We kind of don't hear about him. Um, that, that part's true. And, um, and he said that, you know, he, um, we know he learned the scriptures. He, he learned the ways of God. And we know that was through some divine intervention. Is, is it really else? You guys can pull up to the table. We've got one up here. You can pull up to the edges. Um, so we know it was it was divine, but I, I what I threw in there that I shouldn't have was the, was the verse where he talks about going into the third heaven, um, because that that would have happened later. And as I was studying it for today, when he talks about that, and he said fourteen years earlier, that wouldn't have lined up when he was in Arabia. So we're not exactly sure um, how he got all his his knowledge of the Lord. We, well, we do know it's through the Holy Spirit, but I don't think this was part of it. I'm going to read you that, even though it's not really part of the study of Acts, but um, since I referred to it. So 2 Corinthians 12, 2. So I'm just reading this for clarification. 2 Corinthians 12, 2. I'll start with one. It's, it's about Paul's vision and his thorn. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go Go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Most theologians will agree that he's referring to himself in the third person. My commentary, even in my Bible, says that, but then there's this note that he could possibly be talking about someone else. But I think the bigger agreement is that he's probably talking about himself being caught up in the third heaven. And like I said last week, the third heaven is like, where the birds fly would be considered, oh, up in the heavens, but then the sun and the moon and the stars would be like the next heaven, like outer space. So the third heaven is the throne room of God that he's referring to. And um, whether it was in... What, can you get the verse again? Yes, that was 2 Corinthians 12, 1, and then on from there. So about 1 to verse 3. Thank you. Yes. Um, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like this, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. So he was using this to, when he was talking about boasting and his thorn in his side. So it's, it's a great study doing that on your own and, and coming to conclusions if you think that's Paul or not. Um, but my point was just that's when he was in Arabia at this point after conversion is not when when that happened. So it's just a little point. It all happened. It just didn't happen when I thought it happened. But that's what that's the thing. When you study the Bible, you're going to get different opinions, different insights, and you know that's what I like about community Bible class because we can kind of go deeper on those things. You guys know the Bible, or else we would have probably just skimmed over that and gone with the big story. So sometimes I go deep, and then, you know, that just leads down those rabbit holes. And, um, oh, and then this other little thing I had mentioned back in Acts, 
when we when the word church was used that it was I think I said it was the first time the word church was used in the Bible. It was just the first time in Acts because Jesus talked to Peter about I will build uh, I will build my church upon this rock. And then this was um, when they started using the word church after Pentecost. So that's just a little word study too. But you know, just wanted to clear that up mostly for my listeners because now it's on tape. So if I get something wrong, somebody just goes and listens to that, and they're going to you know. So hello, six listeners from last week. If you go back, you know, you'll you'll hear that. So okay, yes. So something that has been bugging me for a long time, and I and I go back and forth. I know the the Catholic faith; they really believe that you know on this church, on this rock, I will build my church. Referring to Peter. Peter. But then Christ always talks in first person about he is the rock of salvation, and he is the rock. So how do we know? Well, this is Peter, but how do we know that he didn't say, this is Peter, but on this rock I will build my church, speaking about himself. It's so, let me, I don't get that. Right, let me talk to, about that next week when I go, because we did talk about that, but that's a good point about, because he did call himself the rock. Too. He does, he, when he is talking to Peter, he's saying that Peter's, he is going to build his church on Peter. He's giving Peter the keys to the church. But I think there's something with the rock of Jesus, too, in that, too. And I will get more specific. But what he never does is say Peter is the sole head of the church and that there is a direct line from Peter down to the church today. Peter is one of the leaders in the church. And we see that for each group, the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles, Peter will be present. And we will round that out today with him being present at the when um, the, the Gentiles... Are, the Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles. When the Gentiles become members of this church, part of the church body, Peter is present. He's at all three. But never does it say that he's the only one. So he does give Peter those keys. He does talk about him being a building block of the church. But he never says he's the only one, and he's the one that has to follow that line all the way down. Because Jesus is the rock or the capstone. Yeah. It depends on translation of that. But, yeah. So, but I'll get more into the word study of that specific one when I look that up next Doesn't week. Doesn't Peter mean rock, though? The name yes, Peter. it does. Petra, rock. Yeah. So I, I think, and as I've taught it, that he's talking to Peter on that, but I want to make sure I see right. if there's anything to that. But yeah, at least it said Peter means rock. Because his name was Cephas, and then he's just calling him Peter the rock. So, um, so definitely there is something to that. And I think for our Catholic brothers and sisters, they take that to mean that he is the sole head of the church, the first pope. But right, I don't right. I don't feel, and you know, we can have that debate if any of you want to have that, but I don't see that in the book of Acts when the church is starting, that Peter is ever given the sole role of leadership as the head. Um, and you'll even see in our story today, like he says, don't worship me, you know. So um, good. that's such a good question though. Um, okay, so we are um, going to start at uh, Acts 9, verse 32. Yes. So we, we went through um, the Philip and the Ethiopian, and, and um, the, uh, then um, Philip with the Samaritans, and the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit and were baptized, and, and the church leaders, uh, Peter, came down and witnessed that. Um, I kind of looked in a little more about, because I, I didn't understand sometimes in my non-Jewish way of thinking why we had, you know, Jesus says that, that, the, that the word will be spread to the Jews 
first, and then the Samaritans, and then the Gentiles. And why that Ethiopian is in there, is he not, he's not a Jew, so is he, why is he not considered a Samaritan or a Gentile? He's really a Gentile. I didn't understand that because I'm looking at it through my own lens, but the, 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 um, the Ethiopian was a proselyte, so he, we knew he was going up um, to Jerusalem to worship, so he would have of known he would have been circumcised. He would have worshipped the way the Jews do and followed all of their laws and all of their uh, all of their feasts he would have celebrated. So in that way, he was just like the Jews. So that's different than the Samaritans who, like I said, were they, they were Jewish, um, but yet they were intermarried during the time of their occupation, and so they weren't following everything exactly the right way. They, were, they had pagan worship in there, so it was a little different. So it was almost like a side note to this, but that was a little different, the proselytes. Because we're going to talk today about the Gentiles, and we're going to start with a man in, named Cornelius when we get to that story, who, who knew God. But So there's, there's different things going on here, but a proselyte is someone who, who lives by all the Jewish laws and, and follows the Jewish feasts and festivals, but was not um, actually Jewish. So that's the difference there in case anybody's following that. And it just, I, I think what, I, what I'm trying to get better on through this study and what I don't realize because I'm not Jewish, just how important all these laws were to the Jews. Circumcision is very important, we're going to see, and, and how they struggle a lot with that about uncircumcised believers. How can they be part of this, of this, be followers of Christ, just like the Jews are? So they're just going to struggle with that even after all these layers of the church being expanded. And so I think we'll never really totally understand that as non-Jewish peoples, just how important that was. I mean, these were thousands of years of following these laws of Moses, and now all of a sudden, it's like we're not negating Moses, but now Christ has fulfilled this all, and and that's a hard thing for them to understand. Um, yeah, it's it's a big, it's it's a huge change. Um, so we're going to start, and I'm going to do this story kind of fast um, to get into Cornelius and Stan's schedule. But this is a story in um, verse chapter nine, verse thirty-two about Aeneas and Dorcas, As, and um, so Peter had come. Through uh, to witness the the conversion on the, of the Samaritans, and when he came, um, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were baptized. And um, so P Peter's traveling about now. It says, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take. Take care of your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydia was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to a room. So he had to come at once because um, before they buried her, because they had uh, rules on when someone had to be buried. So he was hurrying up. He was taken to an upstairs room. All the windows stood, widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. She's very important to the to the to the people to the city. 
Um, she was a good seamstress. Peter sent them all out of the room, and he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became now known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So this was just a, a way... Um, that, that God chose to to spread the gospel because people heard about the miracle and then they became they came to know the Lord through that. So like when Jesus did miracles, he wasn't here to do miracles, he was here to save us, but the miracles brought people to the message. So Peter is staying with with a tanner named Simon. There's a lot to unpack in in a tanner named Simon because a tanner is someone that works with dead animals. He skins the dead animals. Now, for a Jewish man to even be staying at a home of someone that skinned dead animals is going to be breaking some of the, of the Jewish rules. So we're seeing now almost this kind of little crack starting in Peter, that, that this crack that's opening up this world to the Gentiles, um, that, even, that he would even be there. And um, it's even, I think it's coming up, in this version, but uh, Simon lives on the outskirts of town, so he's not even in the town. He's a tanner, um, very, very much something that the Jewish people would stay away from because just how you um, get blood out of a dead animal has to be done a certain way for Jewish customs. And also don't forget at this time, we're not just talking about the laws of Moses. We're talking about how the church leaders of this time of Jesus have taken these laws to an extreme and so um, they have made it e e way surpassing what Moses even said. And you would get in trouble and be arrested if, if you, and put on trial if you weren't following these laws correctly. So chapter 10, Cornelius, I don't know if some of you listened to that song that Patty sent out last week, but it's still going through my head, the little summed-up story of Cornelius. Cornelius is considered the first Gentile convert in the Bible. This story is very important. He is a centurion. That means he is a military commander of at least uh, of, of 100 people. Centurions were carefully selected. They were men of noble character like any captain in authority, part of a cohort of 600 men. And they're always considered, when you see a, a centurion in scripture, at least maybe by coincidence, they always have a good story attached. And I think that's because they were chosen for noble character. We are in Caesarea. It's about 30 miles north of Joppa, where Peter um, had been, and which, of course, was, would have been named after Caesar. And this was the headquarters for the Roman forces of the occupation. So the fact that our first convert, um, Gentile convert here is also a member of the Roman military. It's a big deal because the Romans, uh, you know, were the um, occupiers of the of the Jewish world here. Um, so he's definitely the ultimate roadblock. And can we start reading? Chapter ten. Cornelius calls for Peter at Caesarea. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known. <coughs> excuse me. As the Italian regiment, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. So we're talking about him as a convert, but yet we're just hearing that he was a God-fearing person. So he knows there's God. He doesn't know the details of God. And I think there's a lot 
of people like that more than you realize in the world who say, oh yeah, I believe in something. I believe there's a higher power. They have this knowledge. They have the moral law written on their heart, but they just don't know the details. And I think for me, there was an underlying lesson in here about the third time I read it through that I tend to overlook those people and not consider them people that need to be converted because that's easier. Because, well, they believe in something. I think they kind of believe. They sort of believe in something. And I think they're not the people who really need to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, they are, because their hearts are prepared. We're going to see with Cornelius. His heart is prepared. He's open to hearing about what this is really all about. He wants the details. And we've discussed that before when someone's not ready and you can tell them and tell them and tell them and their heart is not prepared. Cornelius' heart is prepared. And you'll see it at a time if you really get to know the people that are the new, the new people in church or the people that are just kind of visiting or, or came with somebody or heard about our church through somewhere. And they'll hear a sermon and they'll be like, I never heard that before. But their hearts were open. They don't know. You can't assume people know the word of God. And so through the Holy Spirit and divine intervention, we're going to connect Peter and Cornelius. I want to read you a verse from Romans 2, 14 and 15. So Romans 2, 14 and 15 says, Indeed, this is uh, Paul's talking, obviously, to the Romans, and they're talking about the Gentiles. It says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. So what he's talking about here, without getting into that study, is that the Gentiles have the law written on their hearts. I told you, Sue, that it would rain. Didn't I say it would rain? Sue said my hair looked good when I walked in. I said it'll rain. So anyway, so the Gentiles... Uh, so Cornelius has this law written on their heart. You know, you know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, even if you don't know the law of Moses, even if you don't know Jesus Christ. There's this law written on their hearts. The reason that Paul's talking about this, and he will talk about it more and more, and we're going to hear next week how we have to have this conference between Peter and Paul and the believers because they're not understanding how these Gentile believers can be part of the kingdom when they're not doing because a lot of the Jews feel that upon conversion, now they should follow the Jewish laws. That, that, that's going to trip them up all through the rest of the New Testament at different times until, unfortunately, we move away from it even being a Jewish church into a Gentile church. So yes, he can do good. He can pray to God that he doesn't really know. He can give alms to the poor without being a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jeremiah talks about that, the new um, covenant with law on their hearts in his book too. So verse four, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The, Lord, the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as memorial offerings before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and devout soldiers who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So Simon has a vision. Now Peter's going to have a vision. So Peter's vision. Uh, we pick up in verse 9. 
About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. That, that's typical. It's the hour of prayer, and a lot of people would go up to their roofs to pray. Very traditional. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. So God uses hunger um, because he's going to give him a vision about food. So I don't know if I'm ready to go to sleep and I'm hungry. I don't, I don't usually get the great visions from the Lord. Obviously, I'm going to get the vision when I'm going to sleep hungry that donuts are okay to eat and I'm getting that. But Peter's going to get a vision from the Lord. He fell into a trance. He saw heaven open as something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So two things he's saying, kill and eat. Those were two Two different things because the Jewish people, if it was a clean animal, so there's all animals on here. There's clean animals, unclean, but you had to kill even a clean animal. Well, you had to kill your clean animals in a very specific way. If I like to watch a lot of home improvement shows, and I notice that when they um, do some of the homes for very um, devout Jewish Jewish families that they will have separate kitchens to prepare certain foods separately. It was very important, not just how you ate your food, but how you killed it, how you prepared it. So Peter's being asked to do that, and then he's been asked to eat. Well, these, so th these are two things. Now, Peter, you would think by now, we've been through the backstory of Peter, he'd be like, yes, Lord, whatever you say. Nope, he's not. He said, no, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So he, this is so important to him, the laws, the dietary laws of the Jews, that he's going to say no. And I think that's why, if Peter can't even understand that, I think that's why I have a problem even understanding just how important those are. Do not call, and God says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean, the voice said. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So again, with the three times in Peter, when it's three times is very important in the Bible. You know, Peter denied him three times. Um, Jesus asked him if he loved him three times, feed my sheep. And now three times this has happened where he's like, I can't do this. So verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Why would he hesitate to go with three Roman soldiers? <laughs> I mean, you can see why like, the Spirit had to say, you, it's okay, Peter, you can go with them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men to stay into the house to be his guests. So it was about a two-day walk back. So the fact that, that he invited him in the house to be his guests means that we're probably in the evening hours by now. So he went up on the roof at noon had the visions, thought about the visions, and now it's evening. So Peter is going to go. Um, he, he trusts what the Lord says, that he can go to Cornelius' house. So verse 24, the next day Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day they arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was, was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him stand, get up, saying, stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. So right here, 
kind of to your question, Sandy, we see Peter not even elevating himself. He's just he's just a man. He's not the one to be worshipped. And, um, you know, Peter going into this house doing this and breaking all these rules, he could have easily been taken before the Sanhedrin because um, they're after him. We're going to see. He's, they're going to... Uh, they're going to get him again. So he knows not only is he in trouble by the, is this dangerous because he's with the Romans, he's, he's, he's doing things against the Jewish laws too. So all around, you can see the faith coming through that he, that he believes in this. Verse 27, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with the Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. May I ask you why you're sent for me? So here Peter is telling us what this vision meant. This vision didn't, yes, it was about animals, but what it was about was showing him that, that other people are not impure or unclean. It wasn't saying okay, Jewish people, now start eating unclean animals. This, this wasn't as much about the dietary things. It was about him saying, it's okay to be with Gentiles. It's okay. They're not unclean. It's okay to, to be with, with them. Um, so, yes, I mean, they could have eaten these, I suppose, if they wanted, but he's not saying, okay, he's not telling the Jewish people to change everything about themselves. He's telling them, Open up your hearts to the Gentile people. And I think that's something I kind of always misinterpreted because I thought that was just about you can eat meat. If you're a vegan, please read this chapter and you see God says you can eat meat. It wasn't about that at all. You can still be a vegan. In case my sister's listening, it's okay. You can still be a vegan, Heidi, because that's not what it was about. Um, <laughs> so uh, verse 36, sorry, 30. Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Sent to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest at the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So look at that opening of the heart. It's like we're, we're craving it. We want to hear it. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Um, and that's, let's see. Oh, Deuteronomy 10.17. He's referring back to that also, I believe. Because in Deuteronomy 10.17... It says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. So, again, we're hearing he's just no favoritism. That's, I think, hard for a Jewish person who you're always brought up as your God's chosen people. Your God's chosen people, but he's showing no favoritism to you. I think that, that had to be a little bit of a hard pill to swallow for a lot of the Jewish people but accepts men from every nation who hear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. Now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and now he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. 
We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in, and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead and on, on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses, by, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So here's a sign. Um, the Holy Spirit is poured upon them. They're speaking in tongues. So we know this is legitimate. The, the, follow, the, the people that came with Peter, the Jewish believers knew this was legitimate. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So they ordered that they baptize, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. So we see this is the, the household of Cornelius, his relatives. They're believing, they're baptized um, because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They believe. So what happens? Water baptism has to, has to be part of that, the outward sign of, of receiving of the Holy Spirit. Just, again, proves, again, the importance of baptism. And you notice Peter had one reference to what the prophet said. But if you notice the big difference in, in what Peter is preaching here, when the Gentiles um, receive the Holy Spirit versus what he did on Pentecost, when, he, when he's preaching to the, to the Jews on Pentecost, he's talking a lot about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking a lot about the Old Testament. He's connecting that with, with, to the Jews. The Old Testament is the New Testament. These believers don't know the Old Testament. So yeah, he mentions the prophets, but it's a different kind of message. It's packaged differently now we see for the Gentile believers because Yes, now we hope that they study the Old Testament like we do and learn the Old Testament because it enriches, for me, it enriches the New Testament so dramatically. But right now he's preaching Christ crucified. He's saying, I was a witness to this. He's saying, this is, we, we have witnesses to this. It happened. He's telling them the story. And they're receiving the Holy Spirit and, and being baptized through this. So and then they invite him to stay a few days. So he's going to stay there and preach some more. Um, verse, uh, chapter 11 let me make sure I didn't forget anything here. Uh, but just, again, Peter is using his keys to open up the kingdom now to the Gentile. We're going to start to see the winding down of Peter's ministry now. He is, he is fulfilling what God told him that would happen, that he's going to have the keys and the kingdom of heaven is going to be open to the Jews, to the Samaritans, to the, to the Gentiles, and Peter is present at these things. He's witness to this. And um, he still has more to do, but we're really kind of getting almost to, not by page numbers, but by theme, almost to kind of getting toward the midpoint of Acts where we really concentrate then on Paul. And the New Testament becomes so much of, of, of Paul and his, and his writings. But Peter definitely was, was fulfilling that being the rock to the early church. So verse chapter 11. Oh, it's later than I thought. Okay. Um, I, wa I want to get through this though. <clears throat> we'll go through this chapter 11 pretty fast. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, 
you went to the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. And then I am going to skip this, but he, he goes through exactly what he just went through. And he tells them exactly what happened with his vision and, and the, the, the Holy Spirit and the baptizing of Cornelius and his household, which his household included children and included slaves. And then I'm going to pick it up on verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who who was I to think I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. And what a beautiful thing that that these believers are witness to that, the kingdom of God opening up. So when we um, convene next time, we're going to talk about the church in Antioch, and we're going to talk about Barnabas and Paul and them starting their ministry. Antioch um, was a, a big city, and um, it, yeah, I better just That's stop there. The earthquake. Yeah, yes, yes. It's near the earthquake, and it's just a, we're really, it, it was really important a place in the Old Testament. It was a, a real budding uh, group of believers there. It was, a, it's, it was huge, um, about 800,000 people. Over 100,000 Jewish believers were there, and now, and now many Gentile believers there. It was the third largest city of the time. And, but it was also, as major cities at the time, even when they have believers in them, was a, a real hub of immorality and pagan worship. So Paul and Barnabas had, had a lot to, of work to do. And I will say Saul and Barnabas, actually, because we're still really, um, you're going to see him still referred to as Saul. And as we discussed a few weeks ago, that he was, his name was not changed upon his conversion to Paul. His name was always Paul. That was his Gentile name. But in a few chapters, you're going to see where we really then really start calling him Paul all the time. His, um, and, and I will overlap this, but sometimes we don't come every week. I want to make sure to get this point in. But um, I feel that, of, of course, Paul's conversion you know, happened on the road, so it, and we know all that. But his calling is about to happen, where he really is, is fulfilling the purpose and that ministry to the Gentiles. And... Um, and I think that's really when we, we see we see his importance. Um, he's he's still around. He's he's preaching. He's teaching, but we don't hear about much of him yet. So we're going to make sure the next two weeks that we really concentrate on that. And our last week, we will end with some of um, some of Paul's most famous quotes from the Bible. And it, the more you read what Paul wrote to us in the Bible, it's just it's so profound and and it's so applicable too. So we want to make sure we do that. So. Let's end with prayer. I'll turn that off, and we can have some discussion um, if we want to do that. So let's let's fold our hands in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us together again. <coughs> excuse me, to study your word, to dig deeper, and see what what you're really trying to say to us. Thank you that we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that we believe that you sent your Son Jesus Christ into this world, not to condemn us, but to save us. Please, especially. This week, I ask that you be with, with all those kids in Kentucky at that college who are spreading the word and forgiving them that, that faith and that courage to do so so boldly. We need more of that in our world today. Please be with all of those, as always, who are hurting, who are sick, 
and especially for all those affected by the, the shootings at Michigan State this week, in, including people from our own congregation and, and our own um, in our own communities. We ask that you bring peace and understanding as only you can give because it is it is an understanding that eludes all of us when these things happen. In your name we pray. Amen. But we do, oh, another pair of glasses. We um, had a young man in our congregation who knew that the young man that was killed, that they were fraternity brothers. And so, but you can get that story from any community. One of the young women that was killed was from Clawson. So, and just, and, and on the news last night, they talked about, um, I don't know, it was something that somebody posted about, you know, you have Michigan State University this year has graduates from Oxford High School in there, obviously. And they had some Sandy Hook graduates who were kids then and now are in college there. So, you know, we have a generation of kids that was, that had to experience that. And then every generation has its things, you know, so. Okay, any, um, <coughs> excuse me, let me turn it on.